Amen. All right. Well, it's good to see you. Are you guys glad to be in the house of the Lord today? Amen. Well, we're glad you're here. Thank you for coming. And uh, it's a good day. You know, uh, I, I was getting a little nervous last night. I thought, uh-oh, if we throw this one away, church attendance will be down. Everybody will be depressed. I told friends of ours, but praise God, at least the Vols got the job done. My heels didn't look so good yesterday. So what do you, wait. Security. Man. We don't really have Notre Dame fans in the room, do we? Oh, and I liked you before. Oh. I'm gonna pray for you right now, okay? I'm just gonna tell you. <laughs> Actually, it's better than being a Duke fan, so it's all right, it's all right. We're glad you're here. We are in the book of Hebrews. Uh, we'll be there a little longer, and then we'll be traping back. We'll head back uh, after the holidays toward Genesis, as we have been sort of back and forth a little bit in this journey. We're talking about Hebrews, an anchor for the soul. Man, if we ever have needed an anchor in a drifting world and a drifting culture, it is in these days. And so what I want to do today is give you a new verse. We're learning a verse from each chapter. I want to give you one of the key verses from the whole book of Hebrews. Many of you will have heard this verse. We'll set it in its proper context this week. And so let's look at it together. Would you join me in saying Hebrews 4.12? Here we go. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Now, the word of God is living, folks. It's active sharper than any two-edged sword. We're gonna talk about that. Now, we've been asking questions in this journey. Chapter one, we started with who's the goat? Not Tom Brady, Jesus Christ. Who's the greatest of all time? What's up with angels? We saw the superiority of Jesus to angels in every way. Another question, who's at the helm? Who's steering the ship of your life, right? Who's in control for you? Is it Christ or is it another? Is it you? Are you trying to steer the ship? And then last week, let's see if you catch this reference. We took a journey through chapter three. Does anybody remember the name of the message? Don't stop believing. Are you to hold on to that feeling? No. You hold on to the Lord Jesus Christ. All right. I'm gonna to try to ruin some more songs for you in this series before it's all over, but not today. Today, we wanna to talk about entering God's rest. Last week we said, look, always remember the superiority of Jesus. Starting your journey with him is critical, but holding on keeps you confident and strong. And finally, when you doubt the word of God, you miss the blessings of God. When our uh, graphic designer came up with that image and sent it to us, she normally sends us three or four to kind of look at and decide what do we like. Sometimes we say, try again. But this one struck me because um, when you look off of our deck, you sort of see this. Now you don't see that much water, but you see we live near the rowing course in Mountain Hill. And sometimes this time of year, particularly the fog comes up and the ridge is there and it's like glass. And it's a perfect time in the morning to say, Lord, your mercies are new every morning. Lord, you give us such rest and such peace and such tranquility. But you know, the Bible is very, very clear. God is offering his rest. God is offering his peace that surpasses understanding. But we 
must make a choice to enter it. You must walk in it. God's just not gonna automatically give you rest and give you peace and give you strength if you don't receive it. There is a song that came out just over a decade ago that really speaks to me about the way most of us live. Sort of reminded me of life in that season. Things were crazy and in a good way. You know, kids are growing, church is growing, God's moving, things are happening. But Francesca Battistelli came up with a song in 20, it was released in 2011, and she said, I lost my keys in the great unknown. Have y'all heard that? And call me, please, I can't find my phone. 35 and a, 45 and a 35, sirens and fines while I'm running behind. I don't know what she's talking about there. Um, I've never done that. I just like to run red lights in town. But she said, this is the stuff that drives me crazy, right? This is the stuff that's getting to me lately in the middle of my little mess. I forget how big I'm blessed. And she goes on, and in the bridge it says, God, break me of impatience, conquer my frustrations. I've got a new appreciation. It's not the end of the world. Most of the time when the stressors come, if you'll pause and say, will this matter in a week? Most things won't. Will this matter in a month, a year, five years, 10, eternity? Will this issue matter in eternity. Very few things will. And I think all of us at times feel like there's a chaos to life that needs to just stop. You know, sometimes in our home, it felt like we were more of a taxi service than parents. Now all of our kids are driving, which is a blessing, but it's a mixed blessing, right? Because when they leave to go out on their own, now you're set to pray and, oh God, please, Keep them safe. God, please keep them off thy stone gap. God, please, please help my children. With that being in mind, don't you know we have a father who wants to keep us safe and for us to enjoy his rest. So I want you to stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word. We'll start with Hebrews 4.1 and we'll go on way on up through 13. It's funny because I almost never take as much text as I've been taking lately, but next week we'll just take a couple of verses. So this week we're gonna take a pretty good swath. Now he starts with therefore. We always say, okay, what's it there for? It's a connective word and he's saying, look, the people of the wilderness did not enter my rest because they tried me, they tested me, they rebelled against me. You'll recall we talked about the Hebrew Mara and Masaba and so Meribah, Meribah and Masa, and we talked about those concepts, tempting, trial, rebellion. And today, therefore, they did not enter my rest. But he says, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. That doesn't mean be afraid, it means have reverence for God. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, meaning you've heard the good news. Well, they had the good news, but they were looking forward to the Messiah. You, me, we're looking back to the Messiah. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter that rest, as he said, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way. Now y'all, we were there. We read this, we studied this in Genesis. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this place, they shall not enter my rest. 
Since therefore it remains that some must enter it and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience, again, he designates a certain day saying in David, today, after such a long time as it has been said, today, if you'll hear his voice, if you'll hear his voice, what does the voice of God sound like? Read his word out loud and you've heard his voice. Today, after such a long time, as it has been said, today, if you'll hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For, because, if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. So there remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works, as God did from his let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. For, because the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an incredible text here today. I know it can be quite difficult for us to unpack all of this with so many Old Testament references. But Lord, help us to properly bridge the gap, the cultural, linguistic, historical gap that separates us from the time of which this was written. Help us to interpret properly because without a proper interpretation, there could be an incorrect application and then that does no one any good. Let us not attempt to put words in your mouth but attempt to learn from your words. You have spoken. Lord, we don't have to beg you to speak. You've spoken because the word has been proclaimed. Your word, breathed by you, penned by your servant, inspired by your spirit. So now, Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hands and feet to obey, to be more like Jesus when we leave this place than when we came. And like the original audience here, to never go back, to never stop believing, to not follow the example of the forefathers who fell in the wilderness, but to press on to the promised land. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you and be seated. So there are a few key questions I want us to consider and answer today in the passage. First, what is God's rest? And then how do we enter it? How do we enjoy it? I believe every one of us have seasons of life where we just need, we long for the rest of our Father. The first thing I want us to do is this, enter God's rest by confident faith in the gospel. Confident faith in the gospel. The gospel. Now, don't wig out that gospel's little g. If you're using the word gospel like gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, you capitalize it. If you're using gospel in the sense of good news, proper writing says we just leave it lowercase. I just capitalize the whole thing. I think gospel should be in all caps all the time because it is good news. But just to make it proper for you, we need a confident faith. Let me give you a synopsis. The writer's argument runs like this. Let me try to take the text and just put the cookies on the bottom shelf where I can reach them. God has promised a rest to his people, verse one. But Israel failed to enter that rest. 
verse 6. So God's promise still stands. Otherwise, David would have never spoken in Psalm 95 centuries after the promise was made, saying there remains a rest for the people of God. If you walk with God and trust God and have a relationship with God, he desires to give you rest. And so to the Jewish Christians who received this letter in their day and to Christians who live all over the world today, there is a rest, a peace promised by God. Our writer remembered the generation that Moses and then Joshua attempted to lead into the promised land. They had heard a message of hope and deliverance through Moses and Aaron and leadership and then later Joshua. But they never fully responded to that message. See, Moses had a good message. Moses had a gospel. Moses had a gospel. He said, God wants to deliver you. God will deliver you and your family. Now, you must have the blood of the sacrificial lamb personally applied to your doorpost. And in applying the blood, by faith, God will deliver you. He had a good message, a gospel, a forerunner to the message of the lamb of Christ. He had a good message. And yet the people became dull and hard of heart. And they rebelled against God. And under Joshua, of course, they finally entered the land but many fell in the wilderness before they got to go. Moses himself fell in the wilderness. And here's the deal, guys. When they entered the promised land, they never fully drove out the pagan occupants of that land. You can read about it in Judges 1. I've given you the reference in your notes. Of course, we know the name Joshua. Also, Yeshua is the same name as the New Testament variant Jesus. Yeshua in the Old Testament, the Lord saves. Jesus in the New Testament, the Lord saves. They have the same name. We just pronounce them differently. We've sort of anglicized those names. So I've written something for you in your notes like this. It would be under letter A. Joshua and his contemporaries soon discovered that life in Canaan demanded courageous heroes, not relaxed spectators. The same is true for the children of God today. Think about it. Nearly 2,000 years ago, the Jews who converted to Christianity are now facing severe persecution. Nero is burning them alive as torches in his garden, and they are running away from God and the gospel in droves. And the writer's saying, stop, stop going backwards. Going back into your Judaic ritualistic religion won't save you. It won't help you. You will ultimately fall like your fathers did in the wilderness. Stop running from the God who delivered you. Trust him. Believe in him. Speak for him. Stand strong. He will deliver you. What message do you think we need right now in this cuckoo world in 2022? People leaving the faith, pastors standing and saying all manner of crazy talk and saying, well, God whispers about this sin and God turns an eye to that and he's just for you. He just wants what's best, but we don't talk about sin for fear of offense. What do you think the Lord thinks about those? I think his spirit goes, stop. Stop speaking all manner of foolishness. Tell the truth. Stand strong. God's got this. You are victorious. Even more so than those vols, you have victory in the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't go back. Don't go back. Stand strong. Christians living today must realize that in light of a passage like this, 
We don't merely make a single confession of faith. We don't merely pay occasional lip service to what we believe about Jesus. We don't stand and simply sing about the goodness of God and then go out and deny him by our silence and inaction. We live our faith out there. If you wanna know what it looks like, leave downtown Knoxville after a UT football game. You better be prayed up, is all I can say. Our commitment must be sincere and confident and visible to a watching world. God had promised a land, but the people were disobedient and did not enter. He's saying, do not follow the ways of the wilderness generation. Claim what God has for you. This is not a name it and claim it gospel. This is a trust God gospel. Look at verse two. He says this, for indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as them. He's talking about the idea of deliverance. For the readers of Hebrews, now the Christians here knew the gospel concerned the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Paul outlined it in 1 Corinthians 15. The refugees from Egypt had heard the message, but they did not respond in confident faith. They went backwards. And look at verse seven. He says, today, Today, if you'll hear his voice, do not harden your hearts today. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would have not afterwards spoken of another day, meaning they never fully got it. There are multiple citations there. There are citations to Genesis and other places, but what does this mean when it talks about God's rest? What does it mean when it speaks about the rest of the Lord? Look at verse nine, there remains a rest for the people of God. What is this talking about? Verse four, what does it mean when it says God rested? It's all these uses of the word rest, rest, rest. God rested, well what is that? Well of course that's a reference to creation. Of course that's a reference to God's rest in Genesis two. God's rest though, uh, check this out, I just gave you a little statement here on it. God's rest is not inactivity, but a sense of total completion an absolute confidence in the agent of his creation, Christ. God's rest is not just sit around and twiddle my thumbs, it is I have completed what I've came to do and therefore like the Lord sits at the right hand of God. It's not that he's finished the work of mediation, but he has finished the work of salvation. Verse nine says there remains a rest for the people of God. It's very interesting. The Greek word for rest in that verse is different than every other verse. If you were to look back, and we won't take the time to unpack them all, but verses one, three, five, 10, 11, and uh, later in 18, there's a word for rest. It's an interesting word, it's kataposis. Kataposis means alongside of or together with pause. Now we hear pause and we think pause, like pause the DVR, don't do anything. Not biblically. Biblically it means things are still happening but there's a sense of calm in the happening. There's not a franticness, there's just a sense of peace. And so uh, this word is different. This word for rest in verse nine, there remains a rest for the people of God, is sabbatismos. You, you would get the word uh, Sabbath. There remains a Sabbath, a sabbatismos for the people of God. So let's think about what's going on here. I'll come back to that for just a second, but for now, let's just say this. God's work of creation and his Sabbath rest on the seventh day offers us an excellent, in fact, the very best pattern for our lives. We, all of us, need a Sabbath rest. 
When it comes to your life, if you want the best, follow God's pattern for rest, which means this cannot be a matter of mere belief, but also behavior. Right belief leads to right behavior. It's like a coach. It's like a coach calling a great play. Um, there were a few yesterday that were great and there were a few that were questionable, so I'll go back further to my childhood. We were in a tournament in Greensboro in the city in central North Carolina for a baseball uh, city championship to go on to the regionals and state. And my coach, I had been a first baseman for many years and the pitcher that was in in the moment was my best buddy. He was an incredible, incredible pitcher. Went on to play in college and such. And he, he said to me, he said, these guys are pretty cocky. He said, I'll tell you what I want you to do. When you see a particular guy, he loves to steal. He thinks he's the best. When he gets on base, uh, we're gonna try to throw him out at base because he'll lead out way too far off first. And he said, when you get the ball, he'll beat it back because he's fast. When you get the ball, do a fake throw back to the uh, pitcher. Palm your ball, put it behind you. He'll do a fake catch and we'll see what happens. Well, it's one of those moments where I wish I had it on tape. If we did, it would have been one of those big ones on my dad's shoulder, but we probably don't have it. But it worked beautifully. The guy came on, he was talking smack, he was cocky, he gets down, he does his little scoot off base. The guy throws, the pitcher throws to me, I catch, I'm a lefty, so I catch, and uh, I, you know, I just, and I just put the ball in my glove and I'm holding it. He pops his glove, the guy leads off. I went, bink. <laughs> The coach came unglued. It was awesome. The guy was out. We went on to win the championship. We went on to play. Long story short, it was an incredible moment because my coach said, I've been paying attention. I know more about this team than you do. Trust me, there's a little snot that thinks he's better than everybody else and we can get him. And we got him. If he's watching, I'm sorry. No, I'm not. <laughs> Just kidding. The reality is very simple. We have one who is so much better than even my wonderful coach back in those days. We have one who knows everything about us and everything about the enemy and everything about everything. And you know what? When he gives us a play, this is the playbook. When he tells us what to do, how about we listen and obey and in the moment we will find victory. But you know what we end up doing is we stop believing. He said, go to that land. It's a good land. I've given it to you. And they said, ah, I don't think so. And God is saying, go to this land, a good land, a promised land, a place I'm preparing for you. But to get there, you come by faith, by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And his blood will be personally applied into your life through your belief, your confession. And trust him and walk with him. And we say, ah, maybe there's a better way. I'll do it on my own. Please don't be like that. Enter God's rest by confident faith in the gospel. Second and final, enter God's rest by consistent obedience to God's word. Consistent obedience. Remember what I said last week, when we doubt the word of God, we miss the blessings from God. Verse 11, let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. Don't play around with the promises of God. 
Those who wandered the wilderness rejected the promises of God. Don't follow their example. The act of disobedience is related to disbelief. Disbelief in attitude leads to disobedience in action. And the Lord wants you to enjoy rest in at least three ways. Now I'm gonna go quickly. We'll leave it on the screens for you so you get it. You ready? Three types of rest explained here. Number one, there's a promised land rest. For us, we, that's of course a foreshadowing. We call that heaven. We call that heaven. That, how long does that last? Well, that's eternal, right? So that's the first kind of rest. God wants you to enter that. In fact, guys, listen to me. You cannot have two and three if you can't have this. If you haven't trusted Jesus, you're never gonna experience the other ones. So you gotta trust Christ who died for your sins, was buried and raised by the power of God the third day. That's not just an Easter message. That's an everyday message. That's a good message, good news, a gospel that you can believe in. And so there's this, why do we say when someone Someone dies, R-I-P, rest in peace. R-I-P, well, you wanna know how to rest in peace? Trust God for heaven, the promised land. Two, there's a Sabbath rest. If you are not observing a Sabbath right now, stop, stop. Get yourself a day, a full day, where you are disengaged from your normal vocation, your normal work. If you can't unplug from your phone, if you can't unplug from all that you've got going on in the world, you're too busy. Unplug and take a Sabbath rest. That's one day out of seven, Sabbath rest. And then there is a continual rest. So one is eternal, one is weekly, one is daily, a continual rest. Rest, a moment by moment, a day by day. There's a daily rest with God in Christ. Now listen to this. Jesus explains these in Matthew 11. We'll put, the, we'll put it back up for you if you didn't get it all. We'll come back to it. But look at Matthew 11 with me. You ready? First sentence. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's eternal. Okay, number one, that's eternal rest. Now watch this. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. What do you mean learn from you? He did a Sabbath rest, I gotta do a Sabbath rest. You see it, it's there. He did it, I gotta do it. Not because he was tired, but because he was showing us a pattern. I did it, you do it. Take your yoke and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. Look, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. That's daily rest. Yoke, I'm walking with you. I'm walking, I take the stronger animal, hitch him up, yoke him to the weaker, and he helps. He brings him along. And in an infinitely greater way, Jesus is doing that for us. We are yoked together in surrender. We trust him for an eternal rest, for a weekly rest, for a daily, moment by moment rest. Now with that context, Consider our final two verses for the morning. For the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, etc. We've read it now. What does this mean? Well, it means this. Let's add this to our notes as we come to the finish line. The word, the Bible, exposes our hearts. And then as we truly trust God, the word, Jesus, the Lagos, empowers us to obey God and enjoy his rest. This scripture exposes me If I don't have anything to hide, what am I worried about? If I'm not hiding anything from the Lord or from you, which would be utter foolishness to try to hide something from the Lord, but if I'm not hiding anything, so what? But where there are those little pockets of infection that remain, those problem areas, 
The word of God reveals those, exposes those. The Holy Spirit through the word illuminates those. And then the living word of God, Jesus, both are living, the Bible and Jesus, but the living word empowers us to obey. What do you think it means, by the way, when the Bible is living? As I finish my 24th year of reading a different Bible, I'm reading the Adrian Rogers Legacy Study Bible, and it's awesome, I love it, and I'll start year 25, the word didn't change, translations changed, the word didn't change, what's different? Well, I am. And the application tweaks and changes because of where I am in life. I'm not the man I was, praise God. And I'm not the man I'm gonna be, so I need work. And so the application is alive and it changes, but the truth remains the same. The word is living. It's not archaic. It's active. It's powerful. That's active in the Greek. In fact, you know what the word is there? It's a cool Greek word. You've heard it. Energes. Energes. It's energized. The word of God. It's better than that pink bunny that claps his hands incessantly on the Energizer commercials. The word of God never, ever stops working. And so, you know, God's eye sees man as though he were naked, completely uncovered, open, vulnerable, unable to hide behind excuse or pretense. This is what verse 13 tells us. We are open. I know you can throw fig leaves on and you can try to cover up all you want, but you lay exposed before God. Like he told the Laodicean church, I know your works. If God says that to you this morning, do you go, praise God, you know my works, you know me? Or do you say, "Uh uh-oh, I don't want you to know that, Lord. He does already. He's sharper than any two-edged sword. I love what J. Vernon McGee said about this. He said, uh, I had a professor in seminary who said to us young preachers, remember, when you preach the word of God, it's quick and sharp, a two-edged sword. It will cut toward the congregation, but the other side's gonna cut toward you. So don't preach anything. You're not preaching to yourself first. And he goes on, but listen, I have found that to be so true in my life. If I'm swinging this way, I better be careful because it's also cutting this way. But don't you know, don't you know sometimes you gotta be cut in order to be cured? Don't you know when the little baby's heartbeat is starting to slow down and the doctors rush in and say, we've got to take your daughter back. She's got to go right now. Do I stand up and say, don't cut her, please don't cut her. Doc, you do whatever you need to do to help my little girl and help her little girl. Is that true or false? That's true because sometimes you got to be cut. But the great physician cuts you because he loves you. He cuts you because he wants to cure you, wants to heal you, wants to help you, wants to give you life abundant and life eternal, life to the fullest. Sometimes you gotta be cut in order to be cured. That's why every believer should be diligent to apply himself and herself to hear and heed the word of God. To enter God's rest, we need determination and discipline. We gotta raise the white flag and surrender to let go, to let God. But to let go and let God doesn't mean I don't do anything. It means God's moving me toward him. I'm learning and growing. I'm reading and and I'm processing and I'm applying. How do we do this? We enter God's rest by confident faith in the gospel and we enter God's rest by consistent obedience to God's word. Thank you so much for watching us today. 
God is doing absolutely amazing things in and through our Grace Baptist Church family. If you'd like to share anything the Lord is doing in your life, feel free to reach out to us through our website or our app. And if you're ever in the Knoxville area, come by and worship with us and our family of faith here at Grace Baptist Church.